Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joining us on the podcast to help us break down the bottom half of the U.S. Open men's singles draw is once again a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows, a man whose work you know best as an editorial producer and writer for all things tennis.com and tennis channel. Of course, he is our near and dear friend here on this podcast. It's David Kane. David, hey, great shot. Thank you for giving us a second 45 minutes of your time. Did you miss me in those six minutes? I did. It feels like it's been forever, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't leave you now when we're about to talk about the bottom half of the draw. Nothing I love more than a bottom. So this is just it's going to be a great night. Uh, your words, not mine. Um, look, who can't appreciate a good bottom? And certainly when you look at this U.S. Open, I we talked about it in part one, the openness of the draw. I think regardless of the quarter you look at, there are no definitive favorites. And of course, because we did not have the time to preview the podcast, uh, the U.S. Open, excuse me, as we like to do here at Crack Rackets, we're trying to sneak them all into one show. So we'll try to talk about the dark horses, talk about our favorite first round matches. I have some new segments for for you here in part two, just things I noticed we did in part number one, and we'll just turn them into segments here in part two as we get even more organized, David, as we move through this draw. And again, we'll try to talk about all aspects of this tournament so that you listeners remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Let's just get right into it. We're ready to rock and roll. Let's get into the, uh, excuse me, Carlos Alcaraz section of the draw. Now, according to Tennis Abstract, David, Carlos Alcaraz is the favorite to win the 2022 U.S. Open. He's an 18.2% shot of winning. That is greater than Daniil Medvedev, than Rafael Nadal, than anyone else in the draw. Of course, you look for the number three seeded Alcaraz, the highest other seed in his section of the draw, number eight seeded Hubi Hercots. He's got Cincinnati champion Borna Chorich in this section of the draw. Yannick Sinner, who is thir- uh, fourth, excuse me, according to Tennis Abstract's win percentage, is in this section of the draw, the number 11 seed, your other seeds, Musetti, Dim- Dimitrov and Chilich. Of course, you look for Carlos Alcaraz, uh, loses to Nori, three sets, Cincinnati, loses to Tommy Paul, three sets, Canada. Let's start with one of our favorite segments. Good loss, bad loss for Carlos Alcaraz. Each of those two losses in his two hardcourt warm-up events. So I would say the match against Tommy Paul it's hard to say if it was a bad loss. It just feels like Carlos Alcaraz has set the bar so high mm-hmm. that it feels like every loss is a bad loss. I mean, I just go back to his performances at the French Open and Wimbledon. It just feels like that, you know, he did great you know, <laughs> for all intents and purposes. But when the bar is the title, you know, he grossly overperformed in that respect. So I would say it's about par of a loss. And then the loss to Nori neutral to good because nori is so good on hard courts so and it was such a close one but it feels like if anything that match is more both of those matches are illustrative of the fact that that little extra oomph 
that was taking him through the spring, particularly in Miami and Madrid, is missing. And, you know, what is it going to take for him to get that back? I don't know, but I, I'm not 100% confident he rediscovers it at the U.S. Open necessarily, although the U.S. Open was his breakthrough tournament. So maybe there is something about the New York conditions that do agree with him. I would argue his challenger success were his breakthroughs, but we'll save nerding out for later because that is a segment we have for you. But you look for Carlos. His Alcaraz. breakthrough success was when I covered him on the 21 Under Club on Tennis.com long yeah. before. He went back when he was making, I believe, his Grand Slam main draw debut at the 2021 Australian Open. Long before you were co-host of the Mini Break podcast. Oh, that's what I meant to introduce you as. And 80s Villager's favorite guest, David Kane. I apologize. I meant to include that, and I'll have to include that moving forward. Carlos Alcaraz, 44-9 overall in the year. 83% win percentage. That's top five, obviously, amongst all players on the ATP Tour. He's 14-4 on hard courts. Indian Wells quarterfinal, three-set loss to Nadal, where he broke Nadal's rib. He wins Miami. You know, again, I didn't think the Nori loss at Cincinnati was bad. That was an incredible match where I don't think Alcaraz served particularly well. But again, that match, I think he was only broken three times in the match. It was just extraordinarily physical, extraordinarily fun. I didn't think the Tommy loss in Canada was bad either. And so, again, it's a good 14-4 and four for Alcaraz. The other one, the five-set loss to Berrettini in Australia. Is there any doubt about him physically in three out of five-set matches? Absolutely not. Even with no grass court experience, he still looked good at Wimbledon before getting uh, knocked out by Sinner. You know, for Carlos Alcaraz, third in overall ELO rating, third in hardcourt specific ELO rating, fourth in 2022 ELO rating, and third in the points race. Yeah, he's the guy to beat in this section of the draw, even if he wasn't spectacular in his warm-up events. But, you know, again, the other question I've been asking you in each of these quarters, who is the biggest threat to Carlos Alcaraz in this section in your mind? He's got a couple. I mean, you look at Borna Chorich, mm-hmm. who is his projected third-round opponent, reigning Cincinnati champion. Jensen Brooksby, you know, who you can't undersell at these majors, particularly, you know, at an American major. Even, you know, going back to his first round against Sebastian Baez, we've seen what he was able to do in, in Paris. was so close to beating Alexander Zverev in that match and really just a big hitter, you know, who can maybe, you know, get Alcaraz off guard. It does feel like that kind of match that Alcaraz will figure out in four or five sets. And even Marin Cilic, who he beat in Cincy last week, but, you know, he's a former U.S. Open champion in a best of five match, has that experience that Alcaraz has not had. You know, the difference between beating Zverev in Madrid was very different than playing Zverev at the French Open in best of five. So there is that sort of difference, perhaps, that Alcaraz is still acclimating to, Alcaraz-amating to. Um, okay, Brad Gilbert. It, it does feel like there are some potential pitfalls for Alcaraz and I, only because it feels like we were ignoring them in, in Paris and maybe less so in Wimbledon, but still a little bit in Wimbledon. And so we have to be a bit more conscious of the fact that even if Alcaraz is on track to be infallible, he's not infallible yet. And I think George may probably be the biggest threat just based on his momentum, but had it not been for, had he lost in the Cincy final, for example, I probably would say Brooksby, but I think I'll probably say George. Still alive in the goat race, Carlos Alcaraz? It's getting, it's getting a little dicey. I feel like he's got to get he's got to get at least one slam by this time next year. Otherwise, we're we're getting we're getting in trouble a little bit. It feels like I can accept the premise of that. We always say by the age you get by the time you're done with your age 21 season, you got to have one slam. In my opinion, um, especially with the extended primes and those primes happening later and later for players. Hubie Hercots, the number eight seed. You didn't mention him. Here's my fun number for you for Hubie. It's very simple. 
25 and 8 is Hubi Hurkacz at Masters 1000 events on hard courts since the start of last season. And during that run, obviously, that includes his win in Miami last year. That includes him making the Canada final this year, Miami semifinals this year, Paris semifinals last year. He's been outstanding in two out of three sets. Since the start of 2021, he's two and three at the slam, at the hard court slams. You know, losses to Manorino, Seppi, and Mikhail Emer. With all due respect to those players, that's just unacceptable. And you look for Hoopy, who, you know, Oscar Ota, big servant German, high uh, vacillation, you know, vacillation in level between what his best is, what his worst is, can be big. But, uh, you know, Ota has the sort of weapons to make life uncomfortable for you. Still, that's a match you would expect Hoopy to win. Query Ivashka. Ivashka is a tough out, but, you know, does he do anything elite to really pressure that Hubi Hercot's forehand? I don't know if he does. And then Musetti as your other seed, or even a David Goffin, Menorino coming out of a Winston-Salem title still. It's a very advantageous draw for Hubi Hercot's. That said, how confident are you in him, despite the fact he finals in Canada, and yet again, two and three at the hardcourt slam since the start of last year? Not even just two and three in the hardcore slams, two and four if you count that loss at Wimbledon to Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, but he also semifinal last year's Wimbledon, which I feel like is always left out of this discussion. What's the point, though? <laughs> the point is, is that recently he's not doing well Fair. in these early, early matches at, at Grand Slams. I feel like Ota feels like a very credible first round opponent. Big serve to knock to that out Hubi a top eight seed. Yeah, you're not false. You know, I think, and then you obviously mentioned Manorino, you know, big server who's coming off a good result. You know, I'm obviously less confident in Musetti and Gofan. I It feels like if you're going to get Hoobie, you're going to get him earlier um, before the fourth round because he does have that advantage against Yannick Sinner. I mean, looking at that section, it does feel like it's it's Sinners to winners. I feel like that's, you know, <laughs> this is his probably perhaps his big opportunity to make a major breakthrough. If not now, it feels like when he got really close at Wimbledon, you know, leading um, Novak Djokovic, didn't get the job done and really sort of the worst of best of five. You know, the fact that he just was not able to get the job done and the match felt very much over <laughs> once he didn't get that third set in the, in the bag and having to watch... Sinner lose the third, fourth, and then the fifth set <laughs> in a row like that. It felt like, oh boy, like give him the hook. But um, that said, it feels like that with Herkaz maybe not performing his best on the big stages, he's certainly not going to get that many big stages here. They're not going to give him that big gravitas that that he maybe would want or expect based on his ATP results. He's sort of one of those anonymous players still among the top of the game is as friendly and as popular as he is among hardcore tennis heads. I don't think he is a marquee name just yet. And obviously those losses at the slams are playing into that. So, you know, I do think that Ota is a big threat and I do feel like it's, it's not necessarily in the bag for him to make good on what has been a very, you know, growingly good hardcore resume outside the slams. I would point out Hubi Hurkacz fourth, excuse me, third in hold percentage holding 90% of the time career high for him. Uh, he's also breaking serve 18.4% of the time, which is right around his career average. He has gotten better this season, but you're right. We need to see it to believe it. I do feel like the tennis gods, given they gave us Sinner Alcaraz at Wimbledon, they gave it again in Umag on the clay. We want the hardcourt battle, and them as a quarterfinal is a pay-per-view sort of quarterfinal, of course, to get to the clubs, because I know you miss them. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz, one of three players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. There are no ATP players who rank top 10 in hold and break percentage. Three rank top 15, Djokovic, Zverev, Alcaraz. That group expands to seven when you go top 20. The names that join them, Monfils. 
Fritz, Nadal, and Yannick Sinner. I mean, yeah, you're right. Sinner is the guy to beat in that top half of the draw. I mean, are you buying the Borna Chorch stock? Are you all in after that run? Obviously, he's you know had some challenger success, wins a challenger title in Parma, and obviously for him to go through Cincinnati, Nadal, RBA, FAA, Nori, Tsitsipas, and drop only one set along the way, that is a murderer's road. No disrespect to you, Lorenzo Musetti. Um, are you all in? Are you ready to believe that he's fine for three out of five? I gotta say, I believe. I feel like you know. Interesting. You go back to 2014. He's yeah, the original was... next gen. It was built around him and Zverev and Kyrgios. Yeah, he just was that all around player, all yeah. around you know physical body. The he backhand just had like that shades next... of Djokovic. He just looked like that next big thing. He mm-hmm. just boosted it, and the fact that he was able to deliver what he was able to deliver. Former Junior Slam champion, Cincinnati. I mean, if you're asking me who I'm more confident in of the Cincy champions between George and Garcia, I think I would pick George. To be perfectly honest, I just feel like that George has that ability. Whereas I don't know if, if Garcia still has the intangibles yet at the Slams. Even talking to her, she kind of admitted that you know. Has not been the most comfortable position for her in the past playing singles at a slam. So I feel like George may have a bit more belief. It's just sort of internal belief just based off of, you know, everyone believes that he's capable of this kind of tennis. And so I think he may believe it a little bit more than Garcia does. So I think that, you know, he's in a good position to be the underdog against Carlos Alcaraz, who everybody believes is, you know, and obviously George has had a lot more time to deal with that kind of pressure. So I, I feel like that's one of those matches where, he might end up getting the better of Alcaraz. I mean, I, I I was very high on Alcaraz in the spring and even heading into Wimbledon. But the fact that he wasn't able to get the job done against Vera or even Sinner at Wimbledon, it's it feels like you really want to look at, extra hard at those in his section of the draw and to get someone who's so red hot at in the third round, you know, not someone who he wouldn't have to play till the fourth quarterfinals. It's a tricky one. It is nice to have George back where he belongs in the top 30, healthy once again, playing extraordinary tennis. His backhand driving that ball down the line, keeping Alcaraz honest and not cheating over on the outside. If they play, that match has at least four sets written all over it. And, you know, Brooksby George would get physical. Just how does Brooksby hurt Chorich? It, you know, uh, over the course of five sets in Chorich disciplined enough can match the Brooksby physicality. It's a tough matchup for Jensen. Greek spore is always dangerous. Baez on this surface, it's just really tough. That kick serve, Alcaraz is going to be a nightmare for him. I mean, again, if you're looking at the dark horses, we haven't talked about Marin Cilic, semifinalist at this year's French Open. He's another big server who on the right day can give people problems. Chris Eubanks, a big server, always fun. The fan favorite gives people problems. Brandon Akashima has been really solid, and I know he didn't have the best Canada-Toronto stretch, losing to Nori and Karatsev in straight sets, but those aren't the easiest of draws. And fourth-round Wimbledon, third-round French Open, he's another guy physically, three out of five sets with his discipline. He's a tough out. I think he's the favorite to advance out of the Dimitrov-Johnson-Kotov foursome that he's a part of. Him versus Sinner round three would be really fun. I'm just saying. And so, you know, my dark horses would be Nakashima. Ota, you're absolutely right, could beat uh, could beat Hercots round one. Yuri Vesely, big lefty, tough matchup for Dan Evans. There's your obligatory Yuri Vesely name drop. But anyone else I'm missing? Any other things jump out to you in this section of the draw? I, mean, I, I think I nerded out there, by the way. That was time to nerd out. We did it quickly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to mention any of the unseated names because I feel like the ones that we 
have not met yet mentioned are probably not worth mentioning. That said, watch uh, Stevie Johnson make the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. But at the same time, do you need I more Pedro to... Martinez love? Do you want me to talk about him versus Eubanks? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite satiated for this year, that for sure. <laughs> I just wanted to give a shout out to Grigor Dimitrov, 2019 U.S. Open semifinalist, who is very confident in his ability to return to the top 10, was talking about it in D.C. He feels that's very achievable for him. I don't think he's won a match since giving that press conference where he was that confident. But, you know, again, a natural talent, someone who seems to have a lot of self-belief at, at this stage of the game. We'll see what he's able to do. And again, you know, had a really great result here a couple of years ago. So this is certainly a tournament that may bring back some good memories and maybe get him back on the horse towards this goal that he has. So I wanted to give a shout out to that because he really was so mesmerizing in his assertion that he was going to make it back to the top 10. He was on his way there in that in that moment. And he'd taken some time off and was feeling refreshed. And mm-hmm. oftentimes those results do catch up with the practice. Sometimes it takes a little while, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Where are you with Jensen Brooksby? Jensen Brooksby. I mean, I feel like there was sort of like a charm offensive or charm assault with Jensen Brooksby <laughs> where we were being, you know, really just being beaten over the head with how naturally talented Jensen Brooksby is and how great, you know, he is as a player and as a person and how wonderful and and it just feels like, I don't know. I mean, obviously has a lot of, I want to say natural talent because natural talent makes it seem like he's, he's got a lot of ability, you know, because natural talent, you think of like a Novak Djokovic or Rafael yeah. Nadal, but like, no, he gets how to play tennis. He knows how to win yeah. points. In a very odd mm-hmm. roundabout sort of unorthodox Fabrice Santori yeah. kind of way. And that has its place. You know, but I don't know if that's something that's going to necessarily take him through a certain ceiling. I mean, I think we saw what he was able to do against Novak Djokovic for a set. It was cute. It did not last. So I think with that, he's another one of those, like, give him the hook matches once it was clear that Djokovic had figured out the game. And, you know, the serve is what it is. And the shots are very wonky. You know, he's a lesson to, you know, the recreational players, you know, a lot of ways, you know, to deal with some some unconventional technique and win these matches with belief and winning ugly and all that, but I don't know how far that really carries you in modern men's tennis. But again, this is the most open draw ever <laughs> in the last two decades. So maybe he'll have an opportunity to uh, to be the one to beat Alcaraz. I don't, I kind of don't see that happening. All right, so. well, with that said, who do you see facing Alcaraz in that quarterfinal and who you have advancing out of this section? Are you going to go Alcaraz center? I feel like the tennis gods are leaning towards it. No, We've I'm, earned I'm... it as tennis fans, in my opinion. I am going to go Chorich Center. Wow! I am, I, am, I am I am going big on Borna and watch him watch him lose in the in the second round to Brooksby and make me look like a total no, idiot. I think you're going to be good on that one. But who are you taking in that Chorich or Center? You're in on Borna. I love this. In on Borna, and I but I do think that Center might. I feel like this is Center's moment. You know, this is an opportunity for him to make up for the Wimbledon loss and yeah. I'm going to go with Sinner over Chorich. You're, I'm not going to go that far. Over, you're with, killing with Warner, me, but I, I'm putting gonna, him in the in the semis. Are you picking him again? <laughs> are we going to agree on all of our semifinals? We're either really on this or we're really in trouble. So I have Alcaraz versus Sinner. I just think we are going to get that matchup. I think that's, you know, again, three out of five sets. Both guys stand the test. And I know Sinner wasn't great in the lead up to this U.S. Open, but three set loss to Felix, no crime in that. Straight set loss to Carreño Busta, who goes on to win the event in Canada. I don't think there's any crime in that either. 
Sinner has been that good throughout the course of this season. Again, one of seven guys to be in that top 20 club. You look forward to him in terms of ELO ratings and all the numbers love him. Fourth, according to Tennis Abstract Odds, to win this fifth in overall ELO rating, fifth in uh, sixth, excuse me, in hardcourt specific ELO rating, sixth in 2022 specific ELO rating. He's also currently uh, actually surprisingly low. He's 15th in the points race, but of course, Wimbledon doesn't count on his resume where Sinner went on to reach the quarterfinals. He's healthy, which is the biggest thing. And I like his draw. You know, again, Nakashima, good. Eubanks can serve big, but I think Sinner's pretty definitively the best player in the best form in that section. I think Alcaraz just has a tough road, whether it be Chorich, whether it be a big serving performance from Chilich, which can give anyone troubles. I think Sinner gets through a little bit less unscathed, although then again, Sinner versus Hercots, if Hubie gets to the fourth round, that means he's playing well. And when Hubie's playing well, his serve just keeps him in matches. I'll take Sinner to advance over Alcaraz, but I'm very upset that we agree on all three semifinalists thus far. We're either going to look great or we're going to look horrible. Um, any final thoughts on this quarter? Are you ready to move on to our final? I'm ready to go for the big one. All right. It's Rafael Nadal, who obviously is your number two seed overall. He's won two of the year's three grand slams. Shout out to Rinky Hijikanta, his first round opponent, friend of our program here at Cracked Rackets. But you look at this. Of section. course he is. Yeah. Nori, Shapovalov, Rublev, Runa, Schwartzman, Tiafo, Kasmanovic. A lot of fun names. Let me ask it this way. Is the biggest threat to Rafa a player in this draw, or is the biggest threat to Rafa himself, meaning his health and how just the state of you know his being entering this event? I would say it's his health. I mean, uh-huh. I think he really he burned a lot of good you know juju to to win the Australian Open, win the French Open, make the semifinals at Wimbledon. I mean, he did a lot on seemingly a dead foot, you know, and so I think that there is a lot to be said for that. And I don't know how much how much we're going to see the back end of that, you know, sort of pay off or not pay off at the U.S. Open. And it's unfortunate for him because he's in pole position, I believe, to be number one at the end of this tournament, barring, you know, a title defense from Daniel Medvedev or some wacky, wacky schmacky result from some of the other um, four or five seeds that we mentioned earlier in this program. But I think that uh, it's not the it's not the Medvedev section for Nadal. That's for sure. Certainly in the first week, it feels like that he if he were much healthier, he would be an odds-on favorite to, I mean, he is an odds-on favorite according to DraftKings to make it out of this section, but I, I think he would be less, um, there'd be less uncertainty uh, if he were 100% healthy. I don't think he looked bad against George. He just was a little bit rusty. That said, Rinky Hichikata, I love you, Rinky. He's going to be able to drive the ball, but he's just not, you know, again, his backhand's good. He's a good enough athlete to hang with Nadal, but it, just to handle that pace, the relentlessness, three out of five sets, his game, I just I'm not sure it's quite there yet. Sure, Karatsev, Fonini both can play big, but do they have the discipline to hang with a healthy Rafa Nadal three out of five sets? No. The question is, is he healthy at that point of the draw? I'll tell you this, Kasmenovic will push him physically. There's no doubt about that. We've seen Kasmenovic, one of your breakout players of the season. He's been excellent all year long. That said, you're right. If Rafa is healthy and it's a matter of him just finding his rhythm, he will have the opportunity to do that against his first three opponents. And he is the quintessential player of if Rafa gets to the second week, now it's second week Rafa. And shout out to Chris Otto, my favorite stat of the tournament. We have three defending champions in this draw. Rafa Nadal, 2019. Dominic Team 2020. Daniil Medvedev, 2021. 
how if Rafa is healthy, he has time to find his form. And I, we'll talk about the top half of the draw in a second because it's far more fascinating. But let's just get right into it. Of the players in this section, and I actually think, you know, I think Sock's going to beat Schwartzman. I think Tiafo's going to be the guy who gets Rafa in that quarterfinal round ultimately. Or excuse me, that fourth round ultimately. Thank you for the finger point. Leave it in. Uh, David doing some editorial producer as he is. Um, I st- You know, again, another great matchup for Rafa. It's, an a- it, it's a draw with opportunity for him. And so I'll just ask, do you think, I know we're, at, we're trying to play doctor here. Is he healthy enough? Is he going to get to that fourth round? Are you expecting that? I mean, we talk about second week Rafa, but I feel like he has lost. I mean, mainly this is Australian Open Rafa, but he's lost a few wonky quarterfinals in the in the, in the last couple of years where if he'd been healthier, you know, he tends to sometimes sure. run out of gas in those quarterfinal stages. So, I mean, this is a preamble to where we're going in terms of <laughs> my final prediction for this this quarter. But I, um, it's there really isn't a huge name that jumps out at me as someone who can really push Nadal through his first four matches, really, whether it's Schwartzman, Sock, um, TFO or a Marcus Giron for those sure. who are tuning in, or even a Mikhail Emer for those who are even more um, niche. Um, it just feels like this is an ideal match, um, an ideal couple of matches for him to play his way into form. But that said, you obviously have Cam Nori and Andre Rublev, who could be quite dangerous for him in the quarterfinals, should either of them make it that far. Yeah, it's a fun section, no doubt about that. I would wager that Rafa is healthy, and again, I think he does get through to the quarterfinals fairly unscathed. We'll play a quick time to nerd out when you look at this bottom half, and then we'll move on to the top half. Chinsin Sung, also known as Jason Sung, he can ball, and he's had a really good past year, 50-25 and 25 overall. He's 35-17 and 17 this year. He's a former top two junior in the world, up to number 85 in the rankings, which is two off his career high, which he reached earlier in the month. He's a tough out physically. And I think he survives Popper in round one, who just hasn't had that great of the year. I think Schwartzman and Sock are going to do battle. And Sung, being the physical player that he is, could very well beat that next guy. And if he's that under, you know, if he's that unseated guy who gets to the third round and we're looking for narratives, oh, this guy's a former top junior. And now he's facing Francis Tiafo. You know, that could be a really fun little sneaky third round matchup. Um and don't be sh- surprised if you hear that storyline. Again, we're nerding out here. David's completely blanked out. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, the story of this bottom half of the draw is Rafael Nadal. And all due respect to Kesmanovic and Tiafo. And I think Tiafo does get to the fourth round, which is certainly a victory for him. And again, I think three out of five set Tiafo is the best form of Francis Tiafo because physically he's just there with everyone. But I think Rafa gets through the section. What say you? He gets to the quarters? <laughs> yeah, I would say he's I'm most confident in him making the quarterfinals despite my reservations about his health, but that's more of a, a commentary on maybe the field than him himself. I sure. mean, obviously I agree. TFO is phenomenal, fantastic. He, in some ways, similarly to Brooksby, does seem to have a ceiling at these major tournaments. You know, he had a really great opportunity at Wimbledon, didn't get it done. So I feel like he's, you know. It would be a great match, you know, in much the same way that Kyrgios um, Medvedev in the top half, you know, a, a TFO Nadal fourth round would be equally appetizing for Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, ticket holders. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that Nadal will ultimately have too much know-how to make it through his first four matches. Yeah. And so we both have Rafa in the quarterfinals. Now, will we have him in the semifinals? That is the question. It's the question you have to look at the top half to find an answer to. Now, you have said 
earlier in the podcast to our listeners, you are very high on number seven seed Cam Norrie, who, according to Tennis Abstract, sixth best odds to win the tournament. Now, it's only a 4.7% chance, but Benoit Pair round number one. You can put him in round two right now. His immediate seed is Holger Runa. Certainly, Mackie McDonald, John Isner are good players. Isner, the high va- you know variance player that he is, but you feel like Norrie's got the sort of size discipline where he would be okay in an Isner matchup. The bottom half of that section is the fascinating one, though, because, you know, Denis Shapovalov is the ultimate high-variance player. And then you have number nine seed Andre Rublev, who, David, here's going to be the most shocking thing you hear in the lead-up to this tournament. Andre Rublev is 36-14 and 14 this year. He's winning 72% of his matches. Can you name one definitive moment Andre Rublev has had this season? Losing to Fritz at Indian Wells, it's sure, like the one that that jumps out to me, but it, that's a loss. You know, it goes to show sometimes that you know, thirty six and fourteen, it's not an awful record, but at the same time, you know, it's just not. He made quarters French, but Sinner had to retire in the round of sixteen, and Sinner won the first set. He also lost in five to Chilich in the quarters, seven, six, and third, or in the fifth. Yeah, I mean, it's just it feels like since he beat Nadal in Monte Carlo last year. He just hasn't quite been doing what he needs to be doing at big, big moments, at big tournaments. I mean, he's not getting these marquee results. Yes, he's he's played well in stretches in the last year and a half, but it's not happening where it really, really matters. And that's unfortunate because he plays a really great ball. He seems like a great guy. I would love to put him through to the semifinals, but I don't I don't feel confident doing that based on his results. I mean, he's 5-5 five and five against the top 20 this season, and yet you look for him in semifinals. He's 3-4. and four. You know, you look for him in finals. He is 3-0 and oh this year, but they all came early in the season. Marseille, Dubai, Belgrade. It's just, yeah, again, I don't think there's anything extraordinary yet about his year, and I would like to see a little bit more from Rublev. And certainly it does feel like you look at his section again. Chapo has been so inconsistent. Munar has solidified himself as a top 80 guy, but he doesn't necessarily have the weapons to hurt Rublev with. And three out of five sets, Rublev's going to be fine physically to handle that test. It's a very open draw for Rublev. Um, That said, you're on the Cam Nori Express, are you not? I am. I feel like it's all coming together for Cam Nori, for sure. I mean, just one of the better hardcore players on the tour. Coming off of the semifinals of Wimbledon, you know, some big stage Grand Slam experience, you know, still within a year of him winning Indian Wells, has won a lot of titles in the last year. I think something like six titles, and I think almost all of them on hard courts, if not all of them. You know, this is a draw that he, you know, with Holger Runa as his, as his seed, you know, <laughs> couldn't ask for anything more, given the way the Runa's played since making the quarterfinals of the French Open. And then Rublev being as combustible as he is at this at, at these stages of slams, and then perhaps getting, you know, a Rafael Nadal who's not at his picture perfect best in the quarters. You know, this feels like a, a big opportunity for Cam Nori to uh, to be the first Brit since Andy Murray <laughs> to win uh, a men's Grand Slam title. Obviously, following the footsteps of Emma Raducanu the previous year. So I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on Cam for sure. Did you read the thing about him having like bigger lungs than the normal human? It's like and, my favorite headline. Yeah, Iron Lung Cam. That's what we're calling him now here on this show. Um, you look for Nori, 97-44 and 44 since the start of last year, winning 70% of his matches. That's ridiculous. You look at him hardcore specifics, uh, specifically 58-29. and 29. He's uh, you know a top 25 club 
guy, one of the 11 players on the ATP Tour. You can say that about. You look for him at the big events of late, semifinals since he, you know, round of 16 Canada, but quarterfinals Indian Wells this year, wins it obviously last season as well. You look for him at the slams, though, much like Hubi Hurkacz. He's two and three at the hardcourt slams since the start of last year. Now those losses, Nadal, Alcaraz, Corda. I think you, especially Alcaraz last year, beating him the way that he did, that was, again, one of the big breakthrough and big moments for Alcaraz early in his career. But when you look for Cam Norrie, uh, certainly he enters this tournament in exceptional form, and you feel like you're going to have to play your best to beat him. And Isner's a tough test, but given the high variance of Shapovalov and Rublev, like, you, how can you not take Nori? He just does feel like a sure thing. You know, for Cam Nori this season, and I apologize for throwing all these numbers at you, David, but this year he's 41 and 19 overall against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Cam Nori this season, uh, excuse me, he's 5 and 10 against top 20 opponents, uh, but outside the top 20, 36 and 9. Like, he's beating who he's supposed to beat. And in a, in a tournament of uncertainty, you take the sure thing, right? Exactly. I mean, I think that's what's been so impressive about Nori, particularly on hard courts, is that he's winning almost all the matches he's supposed to win. I mean, and has that sort of hard lefty game. You know, obviously, Indian Wells is a bit slower conditioned, so there is that to consider. And obviously, if the US Open's playing faster, that may impact things a little bit. But at the same time, I don't know. I just feel like the fact that he was able to do what he did at Wimbledon which we would imagine there'd be a lot more pressure on him there than there will be here. And so he'll be, he'll kind of be able to fly under the radar in light of, you know, your Kyrgios's Medvedev's and Nadal's, you know, he could be one of those players who just shocks the heck out of Nadal in the quarters. So I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm big on him for sure. By the way, against players ranked outside the top 20 on hard courts, he's 19 and three this season, the three losses, Chorch in Cincinnati. You can write yeah. it off. He wrote the, won the event quarter in Australia. If you remember that match quarter played unbelievable tennis, uh, in a straight set victory. And then Fritz, three sets, ATP Cup, first event of the year. That match means nothing. Um, Nori beats who he's supposed to beat. And so I think we can get to the predictions here. We both have Rafa versus Nori. Are you going all the way? You're taking Cam? Yeah, I'm taking Cam. Even though he struggled against Rafa at slams in the past? Especially because he struggled against him at slams in the past. I mean, you look for Nori again of late at the Grand Slams and again across surfaces. Semifinals Wimbledon loses to Djokovic. Uh, he lost to Nadal, Roland Garros last year, Australian Open last year, Federer beats him at Wimbledon last year. You know, again, he struggled against the big guys at the big events. You, you're confident he can, you look for him in general against top 10 opponents, just not only at the slams, but against top 10 opponents in his career. Cam Norrie's six and 26. I mean, that's tough. It is. I mean, we're talking about a meteoric rise here. I mean, you talk about yeah. the, the Wimbledon match. I mean, he's like a totally different player now than he was. I mean, he's how many months removed between Wimbledon and the Indian Wells title run? I mean, this is a you put him in a different stratosphere at that point. So, I mean, you think about how he's been able to adapt and grow and, as you said, collect a lot of these matches he's supposed to win. You know, this is an open field without a lot of big guys. So, I mean, I think that's that's certainly going for him in, in that respect. So, I feel like this would be – it's certainly a big test for him if he's – if he doesn't get the job done against Nadal, I will never be going as big on him probably ever again until he, you know, proves me wrong because I feel like that's this is one of those, you know, watershed moments for him. But he certainly played quite well in the Wimbledon semifinal against Djokovic. So I I, I feel like it's um it does feel like a big opportunity for him. All right. Well then with that said, you're taking Nori over Rafa. I'm gonna take Rafa Rafa over Nori. 
I just think if Rafa gets to week two, it means he's healthy. And I've seen the matchup. And with all due respect to Cam Norrie, Rafa's just a little bit better at all of those things. The backhand's a little bit more dynamic. The forehand has a little bit more sting. And if Rafa's physically fit, I just think he can do more things better than Cam Norrie can. Again, Rafa, one of the seven players to be top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. And obviously two slams under his belt already. That said, our semifinals. We now have different semifinals, which is at least somewhat nice. You have on this bottom half, Nori versus Sinner. I have Sinner versus Rafa. You go first. Who's getting to the final? Got to go with Nori. <laughs> I'm going to pick Nori to the end. All right. I'm going to take Sinner over Rafa. I just think it's Yannick Sinner's time. And you look for Yannick Sinner. He's just been on the precipice of it all throughout the course of this season. He was finally healthy at Wimbledon, a surface where he had really struggled throughout the course of his career. I don't think he had a win before this season at the ATP level on grass courts. And he makes the the quarterfinals before getting knocked out by Djokovic in five sets. And, you know, since then... You know, round of 16, obviously, he got injured at Roland Garros. He made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, played a clunker, no doubt about that, against Stefano Tsitsipas, but has bounced back and is 38-11 and 11 this year, 78% win percentage. He's gotten better, the hold percentage of career high, break percentage career high, gotten better at everything, just turned 21 years old. I just think this is where we see quarterfinals for him continue to happen, semifinals for him continue to happen, and I think Rafa will get through the five matches. I think Nori might break him, and I think Sinner will be there and happen to just be perhaps the beneficiary of that fact because semifinals is when we have seen Rafa slow down physically, and so I'll take Sinner to advance over Rafa to set up a Medvedev versus Sinner final. That said, you've got Medvedev-Nori, I've got Medvedev-Sinner, David Kane, your pick to win the 2022 U.S. Open men's singles title. I'll say to be fair, when I picked Nori to win the title for Tennis.com, I don't know if I predicted Medvedev to make the final, but now okay. doing this sort of in-depth draw, and it does make a lot of sense for Medvedev to make the semis and perhaps the final. So maybe I'm a little less confident that Nori's going to beat Medvedev in the final, but I'm going to you know, I'm going to go big. I'm going to go big on this one, especially because the I way like that... It. Medvedev played in Australia against Nadal, having all those opportunities and not getting that done, you know, being a defending champion. Can he win, you know, 14 straight matches at the U.S. Open? Maybe he feels like a bridge too far. And, you know, the newer, newer energy may carry Nori to the title. So I'm, the Britsers should be very happy with me when they listen to this podcast. <laughs> so I better be getting high fives up the wazoo for the next couple of weeks for picking Cam Nori to win this title. So I'm going to go with it. It's not just going to be 80s Villager. You're going to have all sorts of things in our I'm, doing, I'm going all in on, on, cloud, on cloud chasing. This no, year, so. I have no issues with that pick. Again, I, I totally understand the logic behind it. Not as if Not as if my judgment matters, but I see where you are coming from. I'm going Medved, uh, Medved, Medvedev because Daniel Medvedev. Yeah, Medvedev. Yeah, exactly. I'm going with Medvedev simply because I do think he's the surest thing in a field of uncertainties. And that's how I base my pick on the women's side as well. And again, yes, that's the most basic pick to offer here, but hopefully we offered you enough spice throughout the course of our time. And a Medvedev versus Sinner final, that sells. I, I, that's a fun match. I think that's potentially a top five matchup we'll see over the course of the next decade, or, or maybe even more so over the course of the next five years. But with that said, David Kane, you've helped me go through the men's and women's draw. I want to offer you one more time a chance to tell our listeners what should they be looking for from you. Where can they read it all? You can find me on tennis.com and baseline. I'm going to be writing a lot. <laughs> I'm going to be writing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I already uh, churned out quite a bit. My Caroline Garcia one-on-one just went live on tennis.com earlier today. I'll have a story on Rebecca Marino tomorrow. Beginner's guide for those who are unfamiliar with the big hitting Canadian who will be playing her first round 
around 215. We'll be getting that story up before that. And some <laughs> some some little nuggets for you. I don't know if you saw Iga Sviantek finally got her selfie with Serena Williams and but doing a little story on that because everything's a story. You work for baseline and tennis.com. No, no stone is not is left unturned. And um yeah, it's gonna just gonna be a very dense couple of weeks and a lot of stuff that we're gonna be gathering that will be rolled out over the next couple of months. So the US Open and beyond is sort of our motto at uh at dot com. That's what we're looking forward to, and that's why we love you so much. Well, David, again, you gave me an hour and a half of your time. That's why you're the best in the business. We always appreciate you having you on the show, and hopefully we will have you back on the show before this tournament is over. Thank you, my friend, as always. Does be done, yeah. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.